This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media. Do you understand the reason so many of us are stuck and we're not moving forward? That we've known Jesus in this way for quite some time now, and it's like we can't get past the elementary things that we say in our hearts, that we seek a deeper, more intimate relationship with God, and yet we've never put two and two together and asked the question, why are we not advancing? Why are we not existentially experiencing God on a level that we never have previously? And it's because there is an area of disobedience in your life. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. We are taking the gospel to the world. Pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. One truth that will be delivered in love and compassion, connecting every one person to all that God has promised them. Today. Today. Today with Jeff Fines. My name's Aaron, and you're listening to Today with Jeff Fines. Welcome back to the program where we're continuing a message that Pastor Jeff started last time based in Matthew chapter 6. It's part of a new series on pursuing Jesus and speaks about how no one can serve two masters. He's about to ask the question who do you have around you to keep you accountable? because living in healthy community is so important in order to avoid being sucked into the way of the world. Let's pick up the message now. Here's Pastor Jeff. As I continued the research, I discovered wonderful things about other great communicators, Chuck Swindoll, Billy Graham, Matt Chandler, Rick Warren, Francis Chan, all refuse to live outside community. They understand that without community and accountability, there's no way they're going to become all they can become in Jesus Christ. And greater still, they have a great recognition, an uncanny ability to recognize that if you're not moving toward Christ, there's no such thing as stagnation. You're moving backward. It's impossible to remain stable. You're either going forward in your relationship or you're being sucked into the vortex of the world and moving backwards. So can I ask you, who speaks into your life? You say, Jeff, I really don't need that. Dude, you're the one who needs it the most and your arrogance will ultimately be your downfall. Because the truth is, Feeling, experiencing Jesus comes as the result of a decision to position yourself in the places where his voice is heard most loudly. And the voice of God is heard most loudly in the word of God and the discipline that you maintain, studying the word of God, reflecting on the word of God and the words of mature friends. You say, Pastor Jeff, how do I know they're mature? They often disagree with you. They know the word of God well and they use scripture rather than pop psychology when you need their advice. And they not only pray with you, they pray for you. There's no shortcut here. It really comes down to upon what am I fixing my gaze? What do my eyes pursue? And pursuing Jesus involves positioning myself 
around Christian friends who will carry my burdens. And in this way, thus fulfill the law of Christ, Galatians 6. Folks, it's friends, our friends, who will help us discover the difference between feeling sorry that we have violated God's word and actually repenting with a strong intention never to do it again. How do we pursue Jesus? The language of God, the language of friends, quickly, the language of obedience. When Moses asked for a sign, even he and his doubt said, God, if I'm going to do this, if I'm going to deliver your people, give me a sign that you will deliver me. Do you remember God's response? It's something we've dealt with numerous times. God did not say to Moses, just wait till I show up and part the Red Sea. Just wait till I show up and manifest myself in a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. Just wait till you step in front of the burning bush. He never said that. He simply said, here is how you're going to know that I will deliver you. In Exodus 3, 12, he says, and this will be the sign that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. He said, Moses, if you want to know, if you want a sign, here's the sign. Obey me every step of the way. And when you obey me, you will know that you are in right standing with me. And I promise you, you will feel my presence in a very deep and meaningful way. And you will know that you can trust me, that I will be faithful in the promises I have given. We have lost our ability to feel Jesus because we've lost our willingness to obey him. Are you with me? You say, Pastor Jeff, I've heard you say that before, but do you know that the greatest adventures of your life, the most intense victories of your life, the most valuable pursuits of the soul begin when you, with the help of a friend, obey the hard word that God has given you? Do you understand the reason so many of us are stuck and we're not moving forward? that we've known Jesus in this way for quite some time now, and it's like we can't get past the elementary things, that we say in our hearts that we seek a deeper, more intimate relationship with God, and yet we've never put two and two together and asked the question, why are we not advancing? Why are we not existentially experiencing God on a level that we never have previously? And it's because there is an area of disobedience in your life and you know it. A voice keeps telling you, rationalizing this area of disobedience that the Spirit of God keeps convicting. But then another voice comes in and says, everyone has this problem. You're no different. You know, I just had a young girl say to me that she's been dating this young man who is a youth pastor And she said, Pastor Jeff, I don't know what to do. I really like him. He's got an addiction to pornography. And I asked him if he's willing to deal with this. And he said, look, everybody struggles with this. You're just going to have to live with it. She said, what do I do? I said, run, Uh, run as fast as you can. We hear this voice telling us that this area that we're living in disobedience, grace will cover this. God understands my struggle. But you're missing the bigger question. Do you want to limp your way into eternity with God or do you want to thrive in this life and run to him in the next? And more importantly, I think, do you want to be used by God for grand purposes while experiencing the best adventures of your life? Your best life now is always on the other side of obeying the hard word God has given to you. 
as we pursue Christ together, as we fix our gaze and our eyes on him, we gain these disciplines whereby we want to study and understand the communication, the word of God to us, where we are held accountable through Christian friends and where we are willing to obey him in the difficult areas of life. So who has the courage this weekend? Who has the real courage to stop pursuing and watching and listening inappropriate content? Darkness in, darkness out. Fix your gaze on things detrimental to the soul. The soul becomes unhealthy and begins to disintegrate. Ephesians chapter five, verse one, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now listen to verse three. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. The alternative is that you would fix your gaze or set your minds on things above, Colossians 3.2. Who has the courage now to ask yourself the hard question? What do I fix my gaze on? What motivates me? What gets my heart pumping a little faster? What am I most passionate about? How many of us would be willing to walk out of here or turn off YouTube or whatever we're watching and after this message is over, say, I'm gonna stop the affair. I'm gonna stop the greed. I'm gonna stop the coveting. I'm gonna stop the crude language. I'm gonna stop being entertained by things that Jesus would most definitely disapprove of. I'm gonna stop the gossip and the slander. I'm gonna stop the bitterness and unforgiveness. We have lost our ability to feel Jesus because we've lost our willingness to obey him. We can't feel him because we refuse to obey. And because we can't feel him, we start to doubt his existence. And because we doubt his existence, we have no access to the power within us that he is more than willing to release to give us the greatest victories of our lives. It's all connected. How do we pursue Jesus? Listen to the language of God. Listen to the language of friends. Listen to the language of obedience. Fourth and finally, stay with me now. Listening to the language of worship. Let me tell you something that happens as you get older. Music plays a greater role of consolation and inspiration than we ever dare admit. Because over time, your heart gives way to certain cries the cry for peace and tranquility, the search for solace, the cry for a touch of the supernatural, for something that penetrates deep into the soul. And I am convinced that more than ever, music has the capacity to strike at the core of our beings in a way that God has designed from the beginning. In other words, if you want to pursue Jesus in a meaningful way, you've got to make worship a regular part of your day. You know, some of you have heard me say before that Spotify may not be from God per se, 
But like every other secular invention, we Christ followers are called to redeem it for good. And can I tell you what I do? I try to listen to one and all worship songs as I'm driving down the road. I love to listen to Joshua Aaron, especially his concert live at the Tower of David. It's a favorite artist of mine. I love elevation worship, especially the song, Oh, Come to the Altar. I've shared that before. Worship has a way of bringing God who seems far near. Now, I do not want to regurgitate everything I've said about my time in Rwanda. I just know that we still have new people coming all the time. So just a short explanation. After the genocide in 1994, I was one of a few pastors that went into the prisons of Kigali, actually all throughout the country of Rwanda, to preach the message of repentance. And Kugami, the president, uh, in the same vein as Nelson Mandela, decided that he would seek Uh, rather than seek retribution, would seek reconciliation. And part of that was the repentance of the people who had orchestrated the genocide. Remember, you're talking about a a million people died within 90 days. Now, I had been to Rwanda on numerous occasions, but on this particular occasion, my translator, Anastas Abamuga, told me that we were going to go up on the border of the Congo. Now, I want to tell you a little bit of the rest of that story. I've given you the big picture, but let me go down to the weeds a little bit for a second. I had prepared the message that I was going to preach and this was going to be a hostile crowd. I've shared with you that I said to Anastas right before we entered through the iron gates, I said, am I in any danger? Remember his response? Does it matter? If you're in danger, you're not gonna preach the gospel to these people? Are you only gonna go in if it's safe? I go in and there's a real part of me that did not want to go. Robin was not with me. I I felt alone, although I was not, I get that. I was in unfamiliar territory. When I walked into that prison, we were not welcomed as we were in other prisons. There were looks of disgust, like what's this American doing in our prison? I guess he's gonna tell us we should repent, but we're still angry. And if we had the chance, we'd do it all over again. Remember, this prison on the border of the Congo housed those who orchestrated the genocide. Their hatred for the Tutsis was intense and it wasn't dissipating. God opened this door. I went in to preach the gospel. I spent three hours writing the sermon. When I got up on stage to preach, it's like God said, throw that away, I got this. And suddenly all the scriptures, key scriptures I had been reading in my devotional life, all of my life, just started flooding into my mind. And it's like the spirit of God said, open your mouth and the word of God will come. All who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. There's no one righteous, no, not one. Come to me, all you are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. So for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Confess your sins and God is faithful to forgive you. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news, the good news of the gospel. Ask and you will receive, seek and you will find, knock on the door will be open. It's like suddenly for 25 minutes, one scripture after the next, after the next, And then something remarkable happened. Out of these thousands who had orchestrated the genocide, 536 people came forward. The chaplains behind me took center stage. Anastas led them through their confession. There was a huge baptismal service. It was an amazing experience. Some of the prisoners could not believe it as they watched their friends confess their sins, ask for forgiveness. And God said to me during that same time, don't you dare discount this, Pastor Jeff. I'm doing a new thing in Rwanda. Now, because I am skeptical by nature, when we got back to the camp that night, 
It was me, Anastas Abamunga, and all the chaplains. And I looked at Anastas and I said, did something supernatural just happen? Or are these guys just trying to get out of prison? In other words, yes, I preached this message, but did they just come forward so they'd be forgiven and somehow think they'd get out of prison and not have to suffer the penalty for their crimes? I could tell that Anastas was not very pleased with me. Anastas looked at me and said, Jeff, they can't get out of prison. It's too late for that. They have to serve their terms, but now they can do so in peace. And he said, Jeff, a real evil took over our country. I thought you understood that. Many of these murderers believe that God abandoned them and let Satan take over their wills. Because in retrospect, they can't believe they were able to commit the atrocities they committed. But today, because of the good news of the gospel, they discovered that God never abandoned them and will indeed forgive them if they confess and repent of their sins. The gospel brought them the hope for which they had been searching. That's what you saw today, Jeff, in that camp. When I returned to the camp, we locked arms. The worship service that night, just by the Congo River, was one of the most intense worship services I've ever been a part of because I realized in that moment, I was part of something much bigger than myself, that God was changing our entire nation. He was bringing restoration in the middle of an event that catalyzed so much retribution. We locked arms and we all began to sing the one song that is universal, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound That Saved a Wretch Like Me. And as we were singing that song, it dawned on me that I am no better than those prisoners, that I also am a wretch, that Jesus bravely went into the prisons of the earth, that he rescued the perishing and cared for the dying, that he set the captives free. And now he speaks a word to me, just as he has spoken to those prisoners. The Spirit of God said, well done, good and faithful servant. I felt Jesus that day more than any other day in my life since then. Is it because I did something good? No, because I was part of something good. Is it because I faced death unafraid? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. You're afraid. You're tempted to, to bail, to leave. But when you obey God, on the other side of the hard word is the best life you could ever imagine. And all of these things came into play at one point. The language of the word, words of the spirit brought to my mind at the right time and the right place to deliver a message that would spark a revival and restoration and repentance. The language of friends. Anastas reminded me that I don't get to choose which commands I obey. Remember, does it matter, Pastor Jeff? Did God tell you to come here or did he not? Did God not open these doors? No man can open these doors into this prison. No man could do that. Are you gonna obey? Or are you gonna leave in fear and doubt? The language of obedience. I think now of what I would have missed had I not had the courage to move forward through the encouragement of a friend. And then the language of worship. That night, the words of amazing grace sank deeper into my soul than they had ever been before because I realized we're all sinners in prison in desperate need of the grace of God. How do you know 
you're pursuing Jesus. Can I tell you? You're living more simply. You stopped serving mammon and you began serving God. Somewhere along the line, your focus shifted. Your gaze moved from the things of this world and you fixed your view on God. And as a result, you enjoy the gifts of God, your family, your friends, your community, your church. Your eyes go hard after those things and your worship significantly increases as you lay your mat out metaphorically day after day after day. Can I say to you, God help us all. People keep asking me, Pastor Jeff, is this the end? Are these the end times? And it frustrates me a little every time we have a pandemic or something that happens like an earthquake or some rogue leader wrecks havoc on humanity. Every time that happens, it seems that we want to suggest these are the end times. Well, can I tell you, the end times have been happening since Jesus established his kingdom 2,000 years ago. Of course we're in the end times. These are the times of the church. But I can tell you this. This is, in America, the beginning of secularism. And if you're not careful, please hear me, you will get sucked into this. And the ramifications will be the darkness of your soul. Did you hear me? If you're not careful, you won't even know it. You will get so busy and you will gaze your eyes on things that are the lust of the flesh or the lust of the eyes. And great will be the darkness in your soul indeed. You've got to make a decision. And that's what this series is about, to change the course and to fix your gaze on the Word of God, on accountability with the people of God, on obeying the hard word God gives you, and worshiping God as the posture of your life. And when you do that, you're on your way to being ready at the Lord's return. And you will experience God in ways for which you have longed so, so long. Father, thank you for reminding us that the passion and pursuit of our lives is Christ. And I pray in this very simple message that somehow we would be reminded we've got to change the way we're living. We've got to ask, what is it in our life that we truly need? And what is it that we want? And what do we need to give up that is distracting from who we truly are in Christ? Renew our passion for your word. Renew our passion for accountability in community. Renew our passion to obey the word that you give us. And renew our passion for worship, knowing that through these means, we will get to know God and the God who seems far away will come near. In Christ's name, amen. You've been listening to Today with Jeff Fines. Thanks for joining us. Next time, we'll bring you a new message from Pastor Jeff. Because of what happened in Jerusalem, this new community broke the social barriers and genuinely encouraged one another, celebrated one another, and gave themselves to the upward mobility of everyone else. They accepted each other, regardless of race, language, or socioeconomic standing. They did not see their possessions as their own, but rather embraced community by sharing whatever they had. 
You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Fines wherever you listen to podcasts. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media.